Our next Bible reading is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. You can find it on page 1286 in the Pew Bibles. Let me pray for us as we hear it read. Heavenly Father, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. We pray that it will cut to our hearts today as we hear it read and taught in the sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Thanks, uh, Dan, for reading that. Uh, passage of scripture for us this morning. Let's uh, pray once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you help us to understand this word and apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, it's great to uh, be able to open the word of God this morning again and to have it read and to have it explained I know perhaps the last week has been a tiresome week with the heat and everything, but we are in a cooler room here now with the ACs on, so you have no excuse. should be all good, all right? Okay, well, friends, the past few weeks, we have witnessed some very significant movements in our country, haven't we? We have seen some significant movements away from traditional Christian values. We've seen the result of the postal survey on same-sex marriage and its implications for the definition of marriage. The proposed legislation that is coming before federal parliament could have some significant implications to those of us who are Christians and to the church in particular in terms of religious freedom. How is the church, how are Christians going to be affected in this matter? What are we as ministers of the gospel who are married celebrants, are going to do in a situation like this and its implications for us who are celebrants registered with the Australian government. 
Here in our state of Victoria, we have seen the passing of the voluntary assisted dying bill which passed Victoria's upper house. Our state is set to make history. The historic voluntary euthanasia laws have passed Victoria's upper house after a 28-hour marathon sitting, leaving the state on the brink of becoming the first in the country to legalize assisted dying for the terminally ill. And so in a dramatic day, end of days, end to the days of debate, the Andrews government voluntary assisted dying bill passed with amendments, 28 to 18 votes in the 40 member upper house. So we will be the state, so-called progressive state here in Victoria, that is moving towards voluntary euthanasia. Now, why, why, why do we speak about this? You see, because euthanasia is mercy killing. We speak as Christians because while we are concerned for the health and well-being of people and the struggles they face in health issues and their entire, in, in their lives, we also uphold the value and the dignity of human life, don't we? As Christians, we value that life is a gift from God. And every life has value because God has created us in his image. And so we, we push for palliative care. We care for people. We care for the well-being of mankind, not to just put them away when they no longer can survive. Why are we concerned about same-sex marriage? Here again, because we understand the importance of marriage between one man and one woman as instituted and given by God himself for the well-being of society and mankind. I read an article also this week where the UK, in, in the UK where teachers were told to use gender-neutral pronouns. Any teachers here this morning be interested to know this? Teachers in the UK have been advised to stop calling female pupils girls. I wonder what Presbyterian Ladies College would do if that was to be the case. Eh? To call girls as it reminds them of their gender. The UK government's former mental health person, Natasha Devon, told teachers at the UK's top schools to use gender-neutral language towards their students. According to the Telegraph, Devon told the Girls' School Association she would never walk into a room in an all-girls school and say, girls or ladies. Instead, she recommended using gender-neutral labels like pupils or students. Meanwhile, the term boys, according to what she says, carries connotations of being macho, not talking about their feelings, being told to man up. So we should not use the term boys as well. So we know these things are taking place, don't we? right here in our own country with the Safe Schools program as well. And so these and other issues confronting us as Christians and as parents of young children in particular, you must be of concern for your children, for our society in general. And so as these things confront us as Christians, we may cause to wonder and be discouraged to see what is going on in our country and in the Western world in particular, where we see Christian values being eroded and in effect an attack on Christianity itself. Don't you see that? Don't you see it taking place right here in Australia? 
the social engineering that is going on behind the scenes. And so this morning, friends, I hope that as we look at our text here, Revelation chapter 1, 4 to 8, I trust that the Spirit of God will encourage us to know that irrespective of what goes on in our country and in our world, that I want to encourage us this morning to live confidently, to live confidently knowing that Jesus reigns, to live confidently knowing that Jesus, our Savior, is in control of everything that takes place in this world. And so before we look at this text this morning, let me give you a very a quick few words about the book of Revelation itself. It should be helpful. The book of Revelation is addressed to the seven churches in Asia, which is today Western Turkey. We see that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, for example, we see this word is given to John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. John was banished on the island of Patmos. We see that in Revelation chapter 1 itself. And then in, one chap in chapter 1 verse 10 we read this. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatria and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. These were actual churches in John's day. The number seven is symbolic in the book of Revelation and signifies completeness. And so for us today, it is still applicable because it is speaking of the church in general throughout the age. Now the book of Revelation has lots of imagery and symbolism, right? You've read the book of Revelation? The Bible tells us it is a good book to read. Okay? And the book can sometimes be confusing. And yet we must not lose sight of the fact that the book of Revelation is an immensely comforting book for Christians. It is a book that is given to us so that we will understand what this world is going through. We will understand to develop and to create and to have a world view that is shaped by our understanding of what Christ is doing in this world and the ultimate end of this world and culminating with the new heavens and the new earth. So it is an incredibly encouraging book. It must encourage us as we look at this book to know that our God is on the throne. Did you believe that this morning? You do, right? It's good. So right in the very beginning of this letter, we see in Revelation chapter 1, it reminds us that God is on the throne and it, it points the readers to his son Jesus and his work and the promise of his return. And in the book we read of judgment culminating ultimately with the return of Jesus with the promise of the new heaven and the new earth. And so it is a book, friends, that speaks powerfully, giving us in one sense a view of history leading to its climactic future. It is one of hope, one of comfort, and one that should shape our worldview in the way we view the events of this world. For friends, nothing surprises God. Nothing can surprise Him. Do you think that suddenly He's surprised by what is going on in this world? 
I don't think so. He would not be God, would he? You and I are surprised with what's happening in our world, but not so with God. Nothing takes him by surprise. And so in this passage, let me come back, for example, to, to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. What do we read? It's our memory text. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Don't be deceived. God can never be mocked. And so here in this text this morning, we see three things. We see, I want to talk to you about the ruler. We look at the redeemer. I want to look at the return. All right? So the ruler, the redeemer, and the return. Verses 4 to 5a, the ruler. 5b to 6, the redeemer. And we have the return of Christ 7 and 8. Have a look in your Bibles, please, to verses 4 and 5a. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. What a greeting that is. Did you notice, friends, that that greeting is a Trinitarian greeting? Did you see that there? Right? Grace, the Father, is involved there. The Spirit is involved. And the Son is involved. Grace and peace. This grace and peace comes from God who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit again, in its operation in the world. And it is a Trinitarian greeting of great comfort and encouragement to the church. Our God is the God of grace. Have you ever thought about that? What a wonderful God He is. I was reflecting upon that this morning. And thinking, God, you have treated me better than I deserve. Has he not treated us better than we deserve? It's all because of his grace. It's his grace. It's his peace. And this Trinitarian greeting comes to the church, to God's people, saying, I am giving you grace. It is peace that comes from God. Through Jesus Christ, the, the Son, through the work of the Holy Spirit, be encouraged, church, that the Trinitarian God is giving you this greeting. Be encouraged, church, that God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, stands with you and He sends you the greetings of grace and He gives you His peace and He says, stand strong in a world that is in chaos. I am with you. And so, it moves on. The focus then shifts to Jesus. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Have a look at verse 5. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings. We have three designations given to Jesus. And this, these designations, friends, I don't have time this morning to turn back to Psalm 80, 89. Because it has connections with that psalm. Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness. He is described first with this reference to his ministry on earth. And what a witness he was. His entire life was a witness to the Father leading to his death on the cross, which he conquered, his death, uh, conquered death on the cross and a glorious victor, the faithful witness. Secondly, he is the firstborn of the dead. That is, he is the one who was raised from the dead. What happened to Jesus when he was crucified? After three days, he conquered it. He rose from the dead. 
You see, today you and I don't worship a dead savior, do we? Imagine going and seeing a dead man on the road, you're stuck somewhere, and you see somebody who's alive, and you don't know which road to take. Who would you go and ask direction from? Somebody who's dead or somebody who's alive? Somebody who's alive. Very easy, right? A dead man or dead woman cannot speak. Our Savior is not the dead man. He is the risen Christ, the Almighty One, the one who has conquered the grave, the one who lives, the one who intercedes for us, the one who gave his life for us, the firstborn of the dead. And then we see this thing connected here when, when that John is reminded that he is the ruler of kings on earth. The word ruler in the Greek text gives us the idea of a ruler, a commander, a chief. We might say that he is the commander-in-chief of the entire world. You know, the U.S. president is called the commander-in-chief, right, of the U.S. Army. Wherever he goes, he takes that powerful uh, position behind him, whoever the president is. The commander-in-chief, a powerful position to have. At his disposal, he's got uh, the, all the arsenal, perhaps, that's necessary to attack and when the commander-in-chief speaks, the army listens. And so here, God, Jesus, is the commander. He is king by virtue of who he is. Some writers, some commentators call him the cosmic ruler. John Piper, commenting on what it means that Jesus is the ruler, makes the following helpful observations. He says this, okay, about Christ being the ruler. He controls who becomes a king and who doesn't. He regulates what the kings of earth do, sometimes holding them back from evil and sometimes ordering international events to further his purposes. He has authority to claim citizens for his own kingdom from all the nations and states of the earth. He will triumph and bring all his saving purposes to victory. And then Christ is ordering the world for the good of the church. I thought that last one is so telling. Christ is ordering the world for the good of the church. Do we see that? When we look at the events of this world, does it make sense? Where is Christ as the ruler? Friends, he is in charge. Sometimes it may not seem like Jesus is the ruler in our world or country. Our politicians, our earthly rulers may think that all things are in their hands, don't they? Hmm? But they're not. And we as Christians must be reminded that Jesus reigns above all kings, all queens, all premiers, all prime ministers, and presidents of this world. If I was to ask you a question now, who was the Prime Minister 40 years ago in Australia? I'm sure some of you might know it. Right? But does it, do you remember who it was, just like that? Who was the President of the US 60 years ago? You might know. Would you know her just like that? No, we wouldn't know it, right? Perhaps you might. Right? If you're a history buff here, you might know it immediately. Right? But the point is, we don't remember them, right? 
they become yesterday's people. But not so with Christ. He is the current ruler, the past, the present, and the future. Everything is under his control. He reigns. And this ruler, my dear friends, has been highly exalted. And let me ask you a question this morning. Let's ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus, at the cosmic level, is the ruler of all things? But let me ask you this question, including myself. Is Jesus the ruler of our lives this morning? Is he? If so, then what does this mean in practice? How does Jesus, the ruler of our lives, impact us in the decisions we make in life? How does Jesus, the ruler, impact me in the way I serve Christ? How does Jesus, the ruler, impact me the way I use my money? How does Jesus, the ruler, impact me the way I live in a sexually driven world? How does Jesus, the ruler, impact the life of this church? How does Jesus, the ruler, impact, for those who are married, our marriages? Is he the ruler of your life this morning? Is he? Can you say with confidence this morning, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the ruler of my life. I have want to surrender the reins of my life into your hands, because in your hands, my life is always safe, sound, and secure. And he will do that. And then we see the Redeemer here. Look at verses 5 uh, be to six friends, to him who loves us. What a beautiful passage that is there. I won't read it. You can read it in your text here this morning. You can see it there. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Have a look at those words. The word loves us and has freed us are very important here in the text. Right? The phrase him who loves us in the original is in the present tense indicating that he loves us not just in the past, but also in the present. That his love is ongoing. Okay? And then we read this, that he has freed us from our sins. That is in the past. And so we have this contrast here. A present continuous act of love and a completed act he has freed us from our sins. Once and for all. And how has he loved us at the cross. Friends, this morning, what a wonderful reminder to us of God's love for us. Have you ever thought about that? The very profound, personal love that God has for you. I think, friends, you know that the world is starving for love, right? Don't you think so? There are singers who sing, all I need is love. Have you heard that one? You know the tune, right? There's a cry for love. There are love songs written all the time. Because love is something that we want as individuals. We are made to love. God has wired us that way. And I want to encourage us this morning to know that whatever the circumstance in your life and my life might be, however hard it might be, however difficult it might be, in the office, you're doing a placement somewhere and it's a tough going for you. And you're working in your university and it's a hard going for you as a Christian there. And in the workplace, there are colleagues giving you a hard time. And you're struggling. And you're wondering, God, do you ever love me? 
And you look at your life and you think, Lord, I have done A, B, C. I don't deserve your love. Do you love me? The answer is yes. I have loved you and I am loving you because it's present. And I will continue to love you right into the future. That's God's embracing love for you this morning. So I don't know what you're going through in your life. I have a general idea of some of the challenges that some of you are going through. And it, I reflect hard upon those things. You know that as a pastor, I sit in my office sometimes. I look out of my window. I pray for you. I think about situations. But I want to remind you, friends, of God's amazing love for you. Let no one, no one ever tell you that God does not love you in Christ. You know that for today. Because that love is an unending love. That love is an everlasting love. That love is a powerful love. That love is a profound love. And that love is a very personal love where Christ says, I am loving you and I've given my life for you. And I have freed you of all your sins. No more burdens. You know that song, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Know that song? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. How liberating is that, friends? You see, our sin is living in opposition to God. Our sin is living in rebellion against our Creator. Our sin is dishonoring God. Our sin shows its way in jealousy, pride, violence, murder, slander, gossip, sexual sins. But God has taken the punishment of our sin and placed it on his son Jesus. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He is saying, I have loved you and I have freed you from all your sin. That's the message of hope. Does that encourage you this morning? Does that stir your heart this morning? Does that give you thanks to saying, Lord, I want to give you thanks? To be loosed from our sin means to be justified, to be acquitted. And it is by his blood that we have been set free. And as we look at this further, friends, notice what the text also says, that he has made us a kingdom of priests, verse 6, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. Let me refer very quickly to Exodus 19, 5 and 6. talks about the priesthood there. Have a look at that text, right? 19, 5 and 6. And you shall be to me, in particular verse 6, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And now, in the coming of Jesus, he has made us the priesthood of believers. So we don't have priests in our church. We don't go to a priest and say, can you pray a special prayer for me? Right? You can always ask us to pray for each other. We don't have a priest who brings a sacrifice and puts it in front of this altar here on your behalf. We are the priesthood of believers. We minister to each other. We support each other. We pray for each other. We care for each other. We extend pastoral care to each other because we are a priesthood of believers under the King Jesus. What a blessing that is. Martin Luther pointed out this in his Babylonian captivity of the church, that all we who are Christians are priests, and no believer has greater access to the Creator than any other. I don't have greater access to God than you. Do you think, do you think I've got a special access to God? No, you got that wrong. 
You think that John has got special access to God? No. Any of the elders, any of your leaders? No. Right? We all come to the same God, just as we are. And we have access to him always. To him be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen, John says. And then we see, he alerts us to the future. Have a look at six, seven, and eight, friends. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's look at verse 8, and then I'll come to verse 7. Here we have the self-description of God, right? And I want to draw your attention to this because it is important. Both God and Jesus identify themselves as I am the Alpha and the Omega. I've given you some Bible text here. God, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 1.8. Jesus, I am the first and the last. God, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Can you see this? There's this interplay here because Jesus is God. And so we have this description here of both God and Jesus as the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The Alpha and Omega are the Greek letters of the alphabet. So here, friends, we see... He is first of all things, and he is the end to all things, who is to come. What a blessing that is for us as Christians, friends, to know that this Savior, Jesus Christ, will return one day. And the Bible tells us, look at what we see in our text. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Let me ask you this morning, are you looking forward to the day of Christ's return? I met someone yesterday at Box Hill, actually. I had a great chat with this guy. His name is Brian. And he said, he said to me, uh, you know what? Everywhere I go, it seems that people are giving me something to read about Christianity. Oh, I said, that's interesting. So I said to him, what have you learned about Christianity? Well, you know what? I, be, I had a friend who died, and uh, I've been now praying. I prayed to this saint and that saint, and he, he rumbled a few saints, names of saints, right? And then I said to him, you know what? Uh, here's a Bible track. I said, you don't need to go to any saint. You can come to Jesus, and you can have access to God anytime. And then he said to me this. You know, Chris, on the 23rd of September, now I don't know what 23rd of September was this year. Apparently, the 23rd of September this year was supposed to be the last day on earth. Did you know that? Right? Something was going to happen on the 23rd of September. And this is what he said to me. He said, I didn't go out in the night because I was so afraid that something was going to happen. And I know something about this Jesus going to come again or something. And so I actually stayed at home in the night fearful. I don't know what the 23rd of September was, like I said. But you know what, friends? It got me thinking. And I said to this guy, you know what, Brian? Christ is going to come one day. Here's my phone number. Here's a flyer. Here's the info. Call me. I'll have a chat with you. Love to meet up with you. And I invited him to the service. 
23rd of September, come and gone. None of us know, friends, when Jesus will come. We don't know that. But we do know that Christ will return one day. And he will make all things new. And because of that, because of the return of Jesus Christ, the, he is the end goal of all history in the world. And therefore, time is given meaning and purpose. It is hard to believe that we are already in November 2017, and next Sunday will be, the la- will be the first Sunday of the last month of 2017, right? December. And you've done your Christmas shopping, and you've done everything. Everything is going all right with your planning. I'm sure it is. So time is passing by. And so we don't live our lives on earth with every passing year. I'm thinking, man, how many more years? I actually thought about that this morning. It's quite like depressing in one sense. I'm thinking, how many more years do I have to live, Lord? I don't know. I'm thinking, Lord, every year is a new year. Every day is a new day. And I just want to live every day. And I want to make every opportunity that comes my way for you because I don't know how long more you give us to live. And so we live. But time has got meaning to ourselves. We don't just live our lives as just drifting away. As as a Christian friend, when you know what God has done for you, you know that history is culminating with the return of Jesus. How then should you live? Do you live with expectation? Do you live with excitement? Do you live your life under the, under the power of God and saying, Lord, I want to live for you? How do you live your life? Or are you just drifting away? You don't know where you're going. Just as the wind blows, you're drifting. No, 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 no. We live, we live. God's people live with purpose. God's people live intentionally. God's people live with the power of Christ. God's people live with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God's people live with meaning and purpose for life. Yes? Do you? Ask God, how are you living your life today? Is there purpose for my life here on earth? Am I fulfilling that purpose? Am I looking ahead with confidence, knowing that Jesus reigns supreme? We live with purpose, friends, because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, said Paul. And Psalm is put it beautifully in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so we can say it is well with my soul. History becomes his story. And so this morning... Jesus says, I am coming. Behold, he's coming with the clouds. In our, we read this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 26, 64. Look at that. Jesus said to him, to Caiaphas, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And what a glorious promise that God has given us. So friends, this morning, how are we living our lives? Can we live with confidence to know that Jesus reigns? 
the things of this world will confuse us, will bring conflict, will bring chaos, will make us sometimes despair. But let me remind you today, as I was reflecting upon this in the past few weeks, it troubled me a lot. And I was thinking about the church, and I was thinking about God's people. I take comfort to know that Jesus reigns. He is in charge. He is the commander. He knows what is going on. And he will order the events of this world for the good of his church. And one day, he will return. And you know what? He will make all things new. And we, God's people, if we are alive, we will be changed with the twinkling of an eye. And those who have died in the Lord will be raised from the dead. And they will receive a new and a glorious body. I don't know how that's going to happen. It's a mystery. It's a miracle. The soul will be reunited. There will be a new glorious body. For us who are, who are, who are alive, we'll be changed with the twinkling of an eye. We will have a new and a glorious body fit to live in the new heaven and the new earth. And there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more nothing when Christ will return. And that gives us meaning to live. And that gives us a purpose to do missions. We heard this morning about missions at, at Cows, isn't it, with the Beach Mission Program. We went outside yesterday to do missions. Why? Because of our Savior Jesus. We want people to know him. Is Jesus reigning in your life this morning, in my life? Is he the ruler of our lives? Is there any way that we need to say, Lord, I want to come to you this morning. I have lived my life for myself. Maybe this is the first time you heard this message. And God is saying to you, come and trust my son. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that our Savior will come one day and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. We thank you for the reminder in your word that Jesus reigns, that he is the commander-in-chief, that he is in control, that he is ordering the events of this world for the good of his church. And so this morning, as we live in a confused, conflicted, chaotic world, help us to take comfort, to be encouraged, to be strengthened in the faith, knowing that our Savior will have the final word and the final say. I ask you, bless us this morning. Prepare us, Lord, to meet our Savior Jesus whenever he comes. Amen.